0: this is Jay Denson, and welcome to another episode of Fit Health Well. Today, I'm very honored to have Dr. Horshig. Uh, he is the author of The Squat Bible and also Squat University. Uh, I've been following this gentleman for some time, and, you know, we go to the gym a lot, and we see people doing squats, and I would like to say, I'm just throwing this percentage out there, but uh, I like to think at least 50 to 50% of the time, I mean, maybe even higher, we're doing squats wrong. Um, I'm a huge advocate of form myself, uh, and especially if it's coming from a professional. So, uh, I, me personally, I was really drawn to him initially because I would always refer to his videos and that he would post on Instagram at the time. And I would practice that in the mirror, um, and, and just making sure that I got them right. And it was, you know, I was doing everything right. So, um, we're just going to get right into it and I'm just going to have him tell you guys a little bit about himself. So, um, Dr. Aaron, how are you today? I'm doing well. thanks so much for having me on the show and thank you thank you for for going on uh, for coming on and, and speaking to our listeners. So the first thing I'll ask you is just give everyone who's unfamiliar with you and and, and pretty much what your mission is, um, just give them a little background about yourself.
1: Yeah. So I am a physical therapist by trade, also a huge weightlifting nerd. Um, Got involved in weightlifting uh, right after high school. When I got to college, I went to Truman State University uh, and got my exercise science degree there. Just fell in love with weightlifting. And as I got into the the world of physical therapy and started seeing patients, I ended up seeing this deja vu-like scenario that would occur over and over again when I was evaluating patients. And I've really tried to take my practice and move it into the strength and conditioning physical therapy of athletes realm. So I see athletes as young as eight years old. I see professional athletes. I see the aging athlete, You know, the mom and dad that still want to get out and uh, compete on the weekends or just be fit and active in their lifestyle. And um, time and time again, I was seeing these people who were coming to me for injuries, ankle pain, knee pain, back pain, many different types of of injuries. And when I would do our evaluation, I'd come to this point and I'd say, all right, I want to see the way you move. I sort of have to play detective at some of these times and and figure out why did this person develop an injury? And time and time again, people were not able to show me a quality looking air squat. No weight, just body weight alone. Take the shoes off, just could not perform a good looking squat. Needless to say, these people had no ability to perform a single leg squat as well. Because we have to remember a squat is not only on two feet, but also on one foot. And it sort of dawned on me after I was seeing these occur over and over again, time and time again, that as a society, we have completely conceptually rearranged what we think of the squat. We think it's only something we, that we do in the weight room. It's only something that you push big weight. And we've done a good job of that. I mean, athletes nowadays are bigger, faster, than stronger than they ever have been. We're setting world records every single day. I mean, you have athletes like LeBron James just defying what we think an athlete could do at his size. You know, so we are bigger, faster, and stronger, but I think because we've rearranged how we look at certain things, especially the squat, thinking that it's an exercise more so than a movement first and an exercise second, it sets us up for having a lot of these nagging type injuries that occur. I mean, no one that walks into the weight room is completely pain-free their entire life. They're always dealing with some sort of ache and pain. I think the more you push yourself in the weight room, the more this becomes apparent you know with a little bit of an achy knee one day, back hurts a little bit, and I've experienced this many times myself, you know, being in a a competitive weightlifter for a long time. I've dealt with a lot of these types of injuries, you know, a nagging knee injury that just would not go away no matter how much I listened to other doctors advice. Take 2 weeks off, take this ibuprofen, you'll be fine. Just lay off of it for a little bit. You know, as much as I had back pain that kept me from training really really hard or competing sometimes. And you hear, well, just go get this person, he'll pop your back into place or rub this icy hot on it. You listen to Shaq, right, on TV, and he's like, oh, take this this icy hot or ice pack, you know, and it's, it's going to be the best thing ever. What pain is what you'll be saying? Well, in reality, because we've sort of changed our way of thinking to think that, you know, injuries are something that we treat the symptoms and we don't look at movement, that's really where we've come to find problems in our society and us as athletes. So that's really where I've tried tried to come in and be a a source of help for a lot of people. And I put out free content every single day across all social media. My goal is to be on basically every single place that you could be on social media. I want to try to create some valuable content to help people, whether you're a 35-year-old mom that's just looking to stay fit and get in the weight room, whether you're a 22-year-old athlete that's trying to become, you know, the next big thing in the NFL... I want to be able to create some content that can help you and to speak to you. And basically the big thing I try to tell people is I want you to move well first and then move big weight. So my content is all centered around helping people move better, understanding, especially the squat being the cornerstone of our movement vocabulary. If we can move well first and then slowly apply weight after we've gotten our movement down, we fix these small uh, idiosyncrasies that lead us to having these injuries, you know, then we're going to be capable of performing to our greatest potential. So my goal that I always say is I'm here to help you decrease your body's aches and pains and find your true potential athletically.
0: Absolutely. And when I read your book, you know one of the things that I loved the most is you was like you know the moment you pick up a barbell, um, you're exercising, right? And and what uh, what was what I was drawn to the most, I would say, is um, your focus was what you just said here was the mobility factor, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, you know, a lot of us when we are even though the gyms are closed now, but when we were going, um, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of, we weren't conscious of these things. We weren't conscious of our, mobi- our hip mobility, our joint mobility, um, you know, how how should we be squatting in what form and things like that? We were just picking up weights and, and, and doing things of that nature. So mm-hmm. what my first question to you and what I, I really want to dive into, and this was just a little excerpt for the book, um, just because I felt it was helpful for beginners. Um, mm-hmm. and our listeners is, can you just briefly go over the absolutes of squatting and, and just how that applies to a proper squat?
1: Yeah, so there's a number of different things when we look at from a squat, and you can get really, really detailed, but there's a couple different things that you want to understand that are sort of like the basics. Um, A couple things we're thinking about is for sure foot stability. You have to be stable from the ground up, your body has to be on a firm foundation. So if you're rocking around and wearing a pair of running shoes while you're squatting, that's the first thing that we shouldn't be doing. You know, as great as Nike Air Maxes look while you're walking around, they're horrible shoes to squat in. And it's because it's almost like Squatting on top of a marshmallow. So, you're not going to be able to have that firm foundation. So, if you are squatting on something that's a harder sole or a flat sole, it's going to give you balance from the ground up. It's almost like if you want to think about building a, a house, you don't build a house on top of a sandy foundation. You pour the concrete, you have that strong foundation. So the same way goes from whenever we're starting our squat. We want to be able to have a firm foundation with our feet. Um, Whenever we're talking about our knees, we need those knees to be directly in line with our feet. Now, something we'll probably talk about later with uh, talking about your squat, you know, not everyone has a completely straightforward foot squat. There's sometimes going to be some people that have a little variation based on their anatomy, uh, the way their body has formed over the years. Sometimes there's variations in the way that our bones connect to our hips and things like that. Um, And then everyone's got different levels of mobility based on a number of different factors as far as their injury history. Um, how they've treated their body. You get some people that have, you know, sat for 20 years of an office office job. You know, they're going to have a different level of mobility as compared to maybe a young gymnast who's in the gym and stretching every single day. So those things are going to change maybe the way in which we place our feet. But regardless, we want those knees to align directly with our feet. So as you're squatting down, I don't want to see those knees waver in at all. Um, Another big thing is we want those hips to start the movement every single time. One of the biggest things I see that people do incorrectly whenever they squat is they jam their knees forward. The squat should always start with the hips, pushing them back just like It's called a hip hinge. Now, the degree of hip hinge is going to depend on the type of squat you're doing. So if you're doing a front squat, so we have the bars on our chest, there's going to be a very, very minute hip hinge. can't be a big hip hinge because if you throw your hips back a lot, That chest is just going to collapse right forward because it has to, you know, equal and opposite reaction. Your body's going to be off balance and you're not going to be able to save the lift. Whereas with a back squat, you're going to be able to push the hips back just a little bit farther at the very start. But regardless of what type of squat you're doing, the hips always start the movement. And the last big one that I think a lot of people miss is staying balanced. And what that means is that our body's center of gravity remains over the middle of our foot the entire lift. Now what that means is that depending on the type of lift you're doing, your squat is going to look a little bit different. So if we have a body weight squat, so just an air squat, no weight, we're just doing a couple of squats in the gym. If we think about it, most people, their center of gravity is around their stomach. Now based on how that person's body is formed, maybe they have a bigger gut or they're really, really tall, they have a really long torso, that may change a little bit. But we want that center of gravity to remain over the middle of that person's foot when viewed from the side. So when we see an uh, an air squat, a lot of times that person should have a very inclined chest most of the time in order to stay balanced. But we always hear that cue, chest up, chest up. And often that's not a very good cue for a bodyweight squat because you're pushing them into an off-balance position. Whereas with a back squat, because that bar's on your back, it's going to pull your center of gravity up just a little bit higher so it 's going to change the positions so you will likely have a more upright chest with a back squat than you should with a body weight squat, and then that chest is going to remain even more upright when the bar gets put onto our chest because the the center of gravity is then pulled up towards the front side of our body so when you 're balanced, your body 's able and capable of producing efficient force and power so if you view your own squat here 's a practical thing your listeners can take away if you the next time you 're in the gym. Take a video from your side side view and see how does the barbell track. And if the barbell is tracking vertically right over the middle of your foot, you're doing a good job. Your body's in balance. However, most of the time when you view from the side, that barbell starts tracking over the toes at the very bottom and then comes back. So if that barbell is shifting over your toes as you squat down, it's showing that your chest is dropping too much. There could be a number of reasons for that happening. But when that bar is over in the middle of your foot the entire time, your body's imbalanced and capable of producing efficient force and power, that's a good looking squat from the side, at least.
0: Absolutely. And um, I'm so glad you touched on stability. Cause that was actually my next question. Um, you know, I have a question versus strength versus stability. Um, you yeah. brought it up in your book and you know, I followed these guys as well, just because I'm, I'm a big advocate of health and wellness. Ronnie Coleman, when I think about, how strong that, that man was, right? And, oh. and I'm pretty sure you've seen it, his recent documentary that was on Netflix, He Can Barely Walk. And he yeah. got to that point, right? And, um, you know, the only thing that I can think about is is how we ignore and how I had to educate myself because I was ignorant to it is the importance of stability. Um, mm-hmm. So, So saying that is... Um, why is stability so important and pretty much how it relates to squatting? And what can we do to, 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 to better ourselves in doing that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the big thing we need to understand is definition. Strength is your body's ability to produce force. Stability is your body's ability to limit excessive or unwanted motion. So let's take, for example, you brought up Ronnie uh, being a big bodybuilder. Everyone wants to train to get those abs, right? To get that jacked six pack. Well, when you're often training to get that six pack, you do classic ab drills that you see many people do in the gym where you're moving like a crunch. And if you think about it, a crunch, your spine is bending forward while your rectus abdominis muscle, so your six pack muscle, while it shortens and then it lengthens and it shortens. But what your spine is doing the whole time is it's bending and extending and bending and extending. Now, while your rectus muscle is for sure getting stronger, by doing crunches, you're not necessarily going to be able to stabilize your spine that much better because of it. So for example, let's say you do a number of crunches and you just get that six pack nice and strong, but then you try to get under a barbell and you try to pick up that barbell. And when you're trying to lift the barbell, let's say you're trying to do a deadlift from the ground, you want to keep your back locked in place and pick that barbell off the ground. It doesn't take most, uh, you know, or most amateur, Weightlifters, bodybuilders, powerlifters, you know that if someone's back is rounding a lot as they're deadlifting, it's probably not a good thing. That's you know been made a little bit more popular nowadays, the idea that we want to keep our back locked. Well, just because the muscles of your core may be strong does not mean that they'll have the ability to turn on and limit spinal movement, which is stability. Because think about it like this: when you just did all those crunches, you taught your body to move the spine. So then all of a sudden, you can't teach your body, all right, turn those muscles on and don't move the spine, which is what we want it to happen whenever you lift. Research has shown that just because a muscle's strong doesn't mean that it has the coordination to turn on to then limit any excessive motion. So that's sort of the difference between strength and stability. So a lot of people will then say, well, what do I do instead? I actually don't have anyone do crunches because a lot of people probably hear the, the term before six packs are made. In the kitchen, not the gym, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we do instead? Well, I want to work still that front side of the core, but let's do it in a way that's going to teach us stability. So let me turn those muscles on. Let me work them, but I don't want to move your spine. So there's things like a modified curl up. And I have a video on my YouTube. It's called the three core exercises to do every day. It's a part of the McGill Big Three. And there's a number of variations that you can do, but isometric core work where you're bracing, and then maybe moving an arm or a leg, like a paloff press, for example, are ways that we can train the muscles of your core specifically to stabilize the spine. And just because, or in, in doing so, you're going to help your body move better. You're going to help your body lift more weight because you're doing so in a way that you're, you're teaching your body how it should react and how it should uh, work with the rest of your body during a bigger compound movement like a squat or a deadlift.
0: Awesome. And um, this and you can help me and you're definitely going to help my listeners with, with this next question as it applies to stability. Um, when mm-hmm. I'm in the past, when I've done deadlifts or, you know, I've done squatting or whatever and I've, I've been impressed. I'm like, man, you know, I max rep today or whatever. Six hours later, lower back hurts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, uh, I knew I know I did something wrong. Does that contribute to stability? And what you were saying earlier in terms of making sure that the bar is lined up to the mid point of
1: your foot, mm-hmm. I would say if there's something that's giving you an ache and a pain six hours later, it's likely because you weren't moving optimally during your training. So people often say, oh, my hips get so stiff whenever I'm squatting or, or after I'm squatting like the next day that night. And I always tell them, it's like, you're probably not squatting right. And a lot of times that's a big ego shot for people because they are go, oh, I squat right. I know exactly how to squat. Well, clearly you don't because here's the deal. If you are squatting with good technique and appropriate loads, your body responds well. Sure, you may get sore muscles, but you won't become stiff and painful. That's always your body telling you, just like your warning light in your car that pops on sometimes. It's telling you, Hey, there's something wrong. You need to go get it checked out. Pain and really like excessive stiffness, soreness. That's your body telling you something went wrong and likely you did something incorrectly whenever you're moving. And often we can look, first thing, an easy thing people can do is just video their squat from the side. Are you in balance? Because if your body tips a little bit more forward, like we talked about, that bar tracks more towards your toes, instantly your body's off balance, and there's an increase in what we would call a moment arm. So there's more torque placed on your low back when the bar tips forward. So if you have a chest that collapsed forward or your body just shifts forward in any type of squat, regardless of what it is, there's an increase in torque that's placed on the low back. And what that does is then place excessive load that eventually could lead to someone, like you said, six hours later, you're like, ah, my back is killing me. Potentially because you just overloaded those areas a lot with too much excessive force and eventually got a little angry. And that's your body speaking to you. So don't ignore it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And you, you know, you mentioned that too. in um, in your podcast, I was, you know, when I went running, I actually gave that a listen and and I thought this was it. actually, um, gave me my next question. Mm -hmm. You know, you said a lot of times and you've dealt with so many athletes, they take, you know, these painkillers, right. To suppress the pain, um, to suppress the pain. And as you just explained, right. Uh, you had, you use the analogy of the car engine light going on and you mask it up. Um, Mm -hmm. so, and I, and I get this question a lot as well too. What, what is the fine line or where do you draw the line where you listen to your body from the pain or you push to get those optimal results
1: that generally everyone in the gym is looking for? For sure. I think it's really comes down to knowing your body and knowing the difference between pain and sore. You know, they would always say, know the difference between injured and hurt. Well, hurt is still injured. So. There's a difference between being sore because when you're sore, your body, when you warm up and you're moving well, you can still push big weight and it doesn't hurt. Now, there's the pain of pushing yourself hard. That's a mental pain. That's not a physical pain. That's not a sharp stabbing pain. That's not a sore, achy hip. That's different. Those are things that I don't want people to push through. The mental anguish of pushing out another squad and having that be physically tough that's something that if you want the goals that you're looking for, you're going to have to push through that. And in doing so, you'll often be able to find the goals that you're trying to achieve, whether that's physical attributes like aesthetics or more strength or more power, being a better, faster, stronger athlete. But the pain of a sharp and stabbing pain or sore and dull hip that does not get better with more warm up that's something that you should not be pushing through. And if you do, eventually your body pushes back. And you brought up Ronnie Coleman, and I think it's a great example. And now, I obviously don't know Ronnie personally, but I do know that whenever you're pushing your body to the max day in and day out like he did for a long time, there's going to be drawbacks to that, that eventually your body pushes back. And that's why it's so important to, when you're starting to notice those like achy knees or things that aren't feeling very well. Go and see a sports physical therapist, someone that can help you understand and screen to figure out why that's there because that's not a normal part of training. It's not normal to have back pain after heavy deadlifts. That's not something you should be experiencing. So when it does pop up, there are professionals there. That's why I put out so much content on injuries and things that people can do at home to try to take those first steps to solving their own problems. But if you don't have that, access or you need some more help, go see a physical therapist, someone that can help you figure out what's going on so that you can get back to doing the things that you love to do.
0: Absolutely. Um, you spoke also to an um, screen and ankle stiffness and, and you know, that's apt. I'd like to think that that's a, one of the most important assets, right, in mm-hmm. terms of squatting. So could you just give an example and explain for, the, you know, the people that don't know and our listeners um, the importance of and, and a proper way to screen for your ankle stiffness?
1: So ankle restrictions and mobility are probably one of the number one things I see across the board that limits someone's quality squat, especially limits their depth. So if you're out there thinking, I wish I could squat really deep, probably look at your ankles. They're probably really stiff. Now this is due to a number of things. Probably we wear horrible shoes. Most of the time we don't move through full ranges most of the time. Um, but basically we, we develop the stiffness in the ankles and what it does is it limits your knees ability to go forward over your toes, and despite what your friend at the gym said, the knees can definitely go over your toes whenever you squat. It's about when, and not if, they go over your toes. If you don't have that necessary ankle mobility to let your knee go forward, you're going to have compensations up the rest of your body. Your hips aren't going to be able to descend to the greatest depth possible. Your chest is going to collapse forward. So, an easy way to screen for this is you just find a wall, you kneel by it, you put your foot, a thumb plus a fist away from the wall. So just like make a thumbs up, put that against the wall, put your foot against it, that's roughly five inches. If you have a ruler, get out the ruler, but see if your toe can be five inches from the wall and then keep your heel down, but drive your knee directly forward and see if you can touch the wall with your knee without your heel popping off the ground. Now that comes out to roughly 30 to 35 degrees of what we would call closed chain dorsiflexion which is basically you have a lot of ankle mobility. So if you can do that, kneeling down, knee to the wall, foot's five inches away, that means you have sufficient ankle mobility to allow for a pretty good-looking squat. Um, the big thing we're looking for is can you hit the wall and is there a different side to side? Because some people will be able to hit the wall with the right, but then the left, it doesn't look so good and they're pretty stiff. Those people then need to work on that limited ankle mobility on the left side to have that equal motion. And then the better mobility you get, the better your quality squat. You're going to be able to squat deeper, more upright chest. Things are going to look much better. So there's a video I have on my YouTube called my top three ankle mobility exercises. Um, very, very helpful. at just sort of walking you through, very simply understanding the ankle, how to screen for it, and what you can do to fix it.
0: That's great. Um, the, the, another thing, so we went over, actually went over a lot, uh, the uh, Pretty much the uh, the absolute squatting, right? The ankle stiffness, um, how important stability is as well. Uh, I think another overlooked thing that that we do in exercising in general um, is the breathing, right? Mm, and you and yeah. you touched on that a bit in a book. So it's just a little small, just for the for the, the beginners and things like that. You know, what are proper breathing techniques when when, when they, that, that we should be doing when we're squatting?
1: Yes. So most of the time when you're in the gym, you're always told breathe in on the way up. And then breathe out on the way down, if it's a squat or other way around. But basically, there's an inhale and an exhale with the rep. Now, that's maybe fine with very, very lightweight. But when you're squatting, you actually want to hold your breath. So what it's going to look like is you're going to get under the bar. You're going to take a big breath into your core, into your abs. Almost fill the tank is what some people will say. Like You have a big old air tank in your stomach. And if you do this correctly, you'll feel your chest and stomach and then your sides actually raise a little bit out to the side. So you're going to belly breathe a little bit, but you're going to expand like you have an inner tube around your stomach, and it wants to expand 360 degrees around the body. From there, you're going to hold that, you're going to brace your core, and then you're going to perform the entire squat, and then you're not going to start releasing that breath until you pass the halfway or sort of sticking point on the ascent. So don't let that breath out starting on the bottom of your ascent because what happens is that if you let that breath out too soon, you're going to lose stability in your core. When you take a big breath, your body has air that obviously fills the lungs and your diaphragm contracts. And when you brace over the top and hold that breath, you create what's called intra-abdominal cavity pressure or IAP. It's like having that big water balloon sort of filled up with water. There's a lot of pressure. Now from there, When we maintain it, it allows us to keep a very, very stable course. Our core stability raises like crazy. And then if you can hold that breath throughout the entire rep, your body's going to feel so much stronger. All of people that will not be breathing correctly with a squat, I teach them just that simple cue. Big breath into the stomach, brace your core, squat, then slowly let it out as you pass that sticking point in the ascent. And all of a sudden, they start to feel like that squat feels weightless on their back. The weight becomes effortless. Because they're building core stability and moving on a proper firm foundation.
0: Absolutely. Um, what are your tips on um, warm ups? Right? How long should we be doing it before? Like, and, and I'm focusing on just for the listeners. We're focusing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the the people that go to the gym that are doing legs. Uh, mm-hmm. I I, I try splitting legs, but I do uh, just all legs. So yeah. you, should we do a full body? You know, stretch and warm up? Or should we just really focus on the legs because we're going to work those a lot? Um, mm-hmm. What should we be doing?
1: So I'll say for the majority of people that are just going to the gym, they want to get a good workout. Today's leg day. So they're doing some squats, some maybe some deadlifts, some leg press, things like that. The last thing you want to do is go in, see the bar, throw some weight on the bar and just start lifting with lightweight. That's the last thing you want to do. You need to prime your body. The way I think about a warm up is to find a couple different movements that allow you to break a sweat a little bit, prime your body for mobility, stability, and coordination. So think of those as sort of our three main categories. Now, if you were to go to a fancy restaurant, you see this big menu, and it's got different things broken down. There's entrees, there's appetizers, there's desserts, okay? No one goes to a fancy restaurant and goes, oh, I want every single one of those. Right? Well, when we look across social media nowadays, there's a thousand different exercises. Do this for glutes, do this for knees, do this for ankles. And it can be very overwhelming at times. Well, the idea is that to look at exercises like that, warm up exercises, I commend you. You want to find a few things that you want that you feel help your body the best. So pick one appetizer, one entree, one dessert. So pick a mobility exercise that's helpful for you that you've found to help you move better. Pick a stability exercise and pick a coordination movement. So for example, let's say we're going in leg day. A lot of people need to work on hip and ankle mobility. I like the goblet squat. So I'm going to walk in and this is after I've sort of worked up a sweat with a little bit of cardio work. I rode the bike for 10 minutes. Okay, I'm getting in. I'm going to grab a weight, 25-pound plate, 20-pound dumbbell. I'm just going to sink into the bottom of a deep squat and I'm going to swivel around, stretch my ankles out a little bit, maybe just sit down there for like a minute or two. Second thing, I'm going to do some stability work. I'm going to do maybe the McGill Big Three. Each one of those, a couple of core stability exercises, six reps, 10 seconds. That doesn't take me more than a few minutes to do. And then I'm going to finish it up. Let's say it's a squat day. I'm going to grab the barbell, open barbell alone, and I'm going to do just a couple reps, maybe nice and slow, just work on my coordination, working every single small detail of the squat. Then I'm going to start putting weight on the bar. Now, all that together shouldn 't take me more than ten fifteen minutes max, but a proper warm up is going to allow your body to move well you 're going to be able to lift with better technique with decreased risk of injury so a proper warm up is extremely important every single time you go to the gym
0: absolutely and we should and, and I want to drive it home. we should definitely be doing it. I know uh, when the gym's open back up there's a bit of haste with, with what i 'm hearing um in North America. we only have an hour, but you know whether we carve out 10 minutes, right? In the gym, or maybe we should leave, but it's important to do that stuff after. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. I would, I would agree. It's, it's, you know, I always get people that say, um, I'm too busy to warm up. I'd say if you're too busy to warm up, you probably are too busy to work out. Like there needs to, there needs to be something. It needs to be more than just walk in and do straight to the exercise. You know, you need to grab and do a few movements to get your blood, your blood pumping to get your body primed. But yes, those other exercises are very important to still do after.
0: Awesome. All right. So now we are going to get into the fun part of the interview. Uh, sure. When I have professionals like yourself, um, mm-hmm. I definitely like to, you know, my mind races and I come up with these ideas uh, on what to ask you guys. So this is our fact, the fiction section. Yeah. Um, and the first question I'm going to ask you, um, you let me know if it's fact, the fiction, um, you spoke on this earlier and, um, this is a common, this is common communication in the gym on whether it should or shouldn't be happening. Um, barefoot squatting, right? Or not barefoot squatting. Now you, you I know this and, and you mentioned it before. You should have a, a with the tripod, um, mm-hmm. with the base of your feet. It should be flat. But is, is barefoot squatting
1: better for you than shoes or without shoes? I think it depends on the type of shoes, and it depends on the person that's lifting. I think ideally, I'd like to see a lot of people start squatting barefoot, but it comes at the expense that they have to have great ankle mobility, they have to have Um, good foot stability. A lot of people, they jump from training in, in really horrible shoes or really high shoes their entire life and they just go straight into barefoot squatting and they're not ready for it. And then their technique breaks down. Um, on the other hand, you get people that walk into a gym and they're wearing basketball shoes. You know, I mean, Jordans look really cool. They're not great to squat in. You know, they're, it's like squatting on a marshmallow. It's not made for lifting. Um, you know, I'd rather probably put someone in maybe a Chuck Taylor, or uh, I'm really a big fan recently of the barefoot Ursus shoe. Um, It's sort of a flat sole shoe. It's got a little bit of grip to the bottom. Um, I think ideally we want to get someone to the point where they can squat barefoot because it allows them to really feel the ground and enhance their foot stability. Um, We also have Olympic weightlifters that will often wear a shoe that has a raised heel, and that allows them to squat a little bit deeper with a more upright chest. And those can be very, very helpful for people that are trying to excel in Olympic weightlifting.
0: Awesome! And you actually uh, you answered my question because I always wondered it when I seen uh, guys come in with the Converse, and I was I've tried mm-hmm. them before uh, with the Converse, and for myself, it just
1: it, it didn't feel natural, and I mm-hmm. just went barefoot. Uh, I tend to do that. Uh, and actually, a lot of the if you look at the Chuck Taylors, a lot of them are actually very narrow. Um, they'll, they'll actually squeeze your foot together and that can be really bad on squat mechanics as well. So unless you have a very narrow foot, I would say I like the barefoot Ursus shoes, barefoot athletics. Um, it's a, it's a flat sole shoe, but it, it allows your foot to actually spread out and splay your toes, which is extremely helpful when we're talking about, uh, mechanics of the foot and creating a stable foundation for lifting with great technique.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Second fact of fiction question. Um, can squat and ruin your knees? So many people say mm-hmm. that they say, oh, I've heard it so many times. Oh, you know, I did it for years and you're going to mess your knees up. You could do an alternate with a leg press and things like that. So, you know, I have you here. You're the expert, you know, mm-hmm. will it ruin your knees?
1: If you squat with good technique and with appropriate loads, meaning you're not maxing out every day and you're lifting with technique that you can handle with good or good weight, uh, it will not ruin your knees. There's no evidence of that at all. You can squat ass to grass. You can squat really deep. If your technique looks good and you're programming correctly, so again, not maxing out every day, you can definitely squat deep for the rest of your life. And in fact, being able to do so is probably the most important movement that you can do For life, if I get grandma that comes to me and she's got an achy back during her rehab from an achy back, we're going to do squats during her rehab because it is so helpful. If you think about this as you're getting older, let's talk, you know, athletics aside, being able to bend over and pick up your grandkid, you have to be able to squat, you have to be able to get down, get a box off the ground. So it's a movement, a functional movement that you do for the rest of your life. So a squat, when done in the weight room, with correct loads and with good technique is very, very safe on your knees. So people that have developed knee injuries are often violating one of those two laws. They're either not using good technique or they're using weights that are not appropriate or programming incorrectly.
0: That's awesome, thank you for that one. Last fact of fiction question. Um, is squatting required for ADL and for my listeners and, and those that don't know, ADL is activities of daily living. So that's pretty much you going out, anything having to, for you to do to pick up the grocery bags or things like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, fact of fish,
1: fiction, is squatting required for ADL? Definitely. Yeah, it's it's one of the most important things. And, and why, again, why it's something that I do every single physical therapy evaluation. No matter the type of injury they have, I want to see how they're moving. I want to see something their body should be capable of performing. So I ask them to take their shoes off perform a deep squat, and see how that person can handle that movement. You shouldn't have to hinge for every single thing. Sure, you can hinge over like a deadlift and pick some things up, but you should have the capability to squat. You're able to squat once like a baby. You should be able to do it the rest of your life like that. And It's because a lot of times we subject ourselves to chairs and and changing the way in which we move again, because we've conceptually rearranged our athletic priorities to think that the squat is only an exercise, that we've lost it. And then we try to make up uh, these ideas that, oh, you don't need to squat anymore. That's only for young kids whenever they're in the weight room. I don't need to do squats anymore. Everyone needs to do squats.
0: There you go. Exactly. I, I, I like that response. Thank you for that. All right. So that's our fact and fiction portion of it. I want to filter uh, some questions that we have from our listeners. We have a Facebook group, and uh, okay. typically when I get someone, um, when I have a professional come on, I say, hey, I'm going to have such and such come on. So let me get some questions. The first one is from Darlene Bailey. She's from New Jersey. Um, and pardon me if, if, if it is repetitive, but she did ask uh, how to protect your knees while squatting.
1: So the biggest thing is to understand that we want your knees to stay stable. So you want them to stay directly in line with your toes and you want to start that squat with your hips. So this is a night and day difference. A lot of people will feel this. Stand under the bar, put the barbell on your back. Now do it incorrectly, just with the barbell, but drive, drive your knees forward at the very start and you'll feel pressure go directly to your knees. Now do it the opposite. Put that bar on your back. Do a little bit of a hip hinge where you're pushing your butt back, bringing your chest forward and then squat down. And you'll notice instantaneously there's less pressure on your knees. That's because your body, when you squat, we want to create a lot of that motion at the start of it with your hips. Now, the knees still flex a little bit when you do that hip hinge. They just shouldn't be jammed forward at the very start. So if you want to keep, keep your knees safe, keep them in line with your feet. Don't let them waver around. And always start your squat with your hips.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that. And then our next question comes from Tala Serka. He is a, a Navy, he's a sailor in the Navy and a power lifter. So he was very excited when I told him you were going to be on the show. Uh, his questions are very technical. Um, yep. So I'm going to give you two of them. The first is, he asks, in an, absolute, um, in an absolute untrained beginner who can't barbell squat past a quarter depth, how do you progress from barely quarter to a full depth?
1: I would say first thing, I want to get their bodyweight squat to full depth. And I know a lot of times people are like, oh, but I I want to train with weights. I think that if you can't perform a great looking bodyweight squat to full depth, you have not yet earned the right to put the barbell on your back. Now, there's many other ways that we can work on getting that person strong while we're training this. We can do other things, leg press, Bulgarian split squats, lunges, because they'll say, well, I still want to get a workout in. Well, we can get that workout the other ways, but we need to be able to squat to full depth, body weight, air squat, no weight on your back to full depth, have that look good. Now you're ready to put a barbell on your back. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, His second question was, how does a mobility
0: protocol get prescribed? what examples would you have of assessing a squat and then prescribing mobility plans?
1: So it would all depend on the person and what they need to work on. Let's say, um, and that's really the big thing that I tried to focus on with the squat Bible was how can you um, break down the squat movement and find out what mobility restrictions someone may have. So if you have two friends, friend A, friend B, they may have very different mobility plans that they need to carry out to perform the same movement, the squat, with good-looking technique. So there's no general squat mobility plan that you can find. It always has to be screened and then a plan developed off of what you find in that screen. So, for example, we talked about the ankles before. We did that 5-inch wall test, and then based on that, we can then prescribe some different mobility exercises uh, that that person could do every single day because we need to have a lot of consistency in order to make dramatic changes. But doing so and then patterning the squat over the top to sort of lock in those new uh, mobility movements that we just uncovered would be key. So uh, that's a lot of stuff I share on like squatuniversity.com, my blog. Click on the blog article tab. There's a lot of different mobility help exercises where it's a screen. What does this mean? Here's some exercises to to use that you could help to fulfill that need.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, then this is another question that he had as well. He said, um, there's two more. This is the, the yeah. third. With regards to chest angle or low bar placement, is it advantages to, uh, advantages to try to keep vertical or let the chest fall?
1: So again, it all comes down to balance. So based on that person's anatomy and their lever lengths, how long their femur is compared to their torso length, that uh, chest inclination will change person to person. So let's say you have a person that's uh, got really, really short femurs and a really, really tall chest or long torso, they're going to have a much more upright. Squat compared to someone that has really, really long legs and a relatively short femur or a relatively short torso. So um, no one's squat is going to look the exact same as someone else's. But how you know you're correct in your angle uh, of your torso is by viewing the squat from the side and seeing if that barbell tracks over the middle of your foot.
0: Awesome. And then the last question, and I'll save this for last specifically because <laughs> he's always trying to PR and do things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the best way? to prevent getting folded, in quotation marks, on a heavy back squat attempt?
1: Staying in balance, core stability and staying in balance. So we talked about um, core stability, proper breathing, embracing, and then staying in balance. If you're in balance the whole time, what will happen is that you'll just almost stutter out of energy. If you get stuck, you won't collapse forward. Now you may need some friends to help you get the weight back up, but you won't fold and collapse over. The people that do that are off balance and the barbell is already way too forward. So when they lose their energy, there's nowhere else to go, but fold in too.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that. So, now, yep. So now the last portion and okay. listeners to the podcast, um, you will have to look at this on my YouTube channel, um, but I am going to get some help um, from the great Dr. Aaron himself. And what I have uh, put together is two uh, videos of me squatting. Um, for those unfamiliar, the first thing he'll tell you, whether, you know, you're a client of his <laughs> or he's meeting you for the first time, let me see your squat. Right. So um, <laughs> exactly. I did. Yeah, I did two videos, a frontal video and a side video. And we're going to have him take a look at that for us. So and I did three. I did it three times. So we're going to go back and then you can uh, give your feedback after the videos and let me know. And you see it, right?
1: Uh, it's not popping up yet.
0: Okay, hold on. Let me go back. Sorry for that.
1: All right, there we go.
0: Okay, here we go from the top.
1: Um. Okay, so the first couple of things that I'm seeing right now, foot angle, that's the first one that I would always look at. And you can see that your toes are turned out maybe 45 degrees or so out to the side. So that's a big thing to look at. Whenever you have excessive toe angle, the first thing we want to do is assess why it's there. Usually that's probably your comfortable position when squatting. So I'd next say, all right, turn your toes a little bit more straightforward, maybe five to seven degrees out to the side. And let's see what happens to your squat? Are you still able to hit full depth or is there breakdown compensations all the way up the rest of the chain? We would then do some screening to figure out, well, why would that occur? Maybe you have those toes that turn out to the side because of an anatomical variation that we call retroversion. So some people have hips that are designed in a way to where the femurs are much more flat in the way they connect to the pelvis than other people. So it's not textbook normal. And what that means is that in order to have your body Balanced, your toes technically turn out to the side a little bit more. That's more of a balanced hip approach for you. Now, it's not, like I said, textbook normal, but that's the way that your body moves. So that is one reason why someone may have excessive toes out to the side. Another reason could be lack of ankle mobility, for example, or lack of hip internal rotation. And in order for you to continue the depth of your squat, You have to spin off into a position of least resistance, which is that toes outside, so an excessive external rotation position. So we would always have to screen. Don't always assume you have to assess. And in doing so, we can uncover why do you have to squat in that position and see if we can modify that to become a little bit more optimal. Now, why would I want you to have those toes a little bit more straightforward? Think about the position that you would jump and land if you're doing like a box jump. We want those toes to be relatively straightforward because that's an athletic position. If not, it's really easy for those knees to cave in. You're not very strong and powerful in moving out of that jump. Same goes for our squat. We want to have those toes just a little bit more straightforward because an excessive toe out to the side usually isn't very strong, powerful, and isn't very stable as well.
0: Awesome. And we're just going to take a, I wanted to share the second video with you so you can look at my chest. And just let me know if, if uh, you know, again, if there's anything that I can improve on or I am doing wrong. So we're going to get that <laughs> one up. Okay. Share that one. Okay. Okay, right. doctor, so you got overall, any additional yeah. uh, any additional feedback for me?
1: So overall, not too bad, but I would assume that you were using the cue in the back of your head, chest up, because I could see that you were very, very upright. Now, nothing wrong with using that cue if you stay balanced and that person needs it for the right reason. Like if their chest is collapsing forward, sometimes that cue works for that person and remain a little more upright. But in your case, it looks like in doing so, you were pushing yourself off balance just in the opposite position a lot of people are looked like your weight was a lot on your heels now that's another thing is people use the cue weight on the heels you want your weight spread evenly across your entire foot through that tripod that we talked about so weight on the heel weight through the first toe and weight through the fifth toe and that equal distribution of weight allows you to have that balanced foot a balanced body able to move well and lift big weight efficiently. So I would say for you, don't allow your chest to round over like you have a turtle shell on your back, but allow your chest to incline just a little bit more and squat down and you're gonna find that you're gonna feel much more balanced in that position.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, listen, it was, it was definitely a pleasure to have you. I, got a, um, I get a lot of value just following you. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that you took the time out your day to uh, help educate our listeners as well. Um, just to recap, you know, some of the stuff that we got, we went over today, um, just to our listeners, you know, we went over the basics. Uh, we talked about stability, you know, the ankle stiffness, um, just in terms of, you know, proper squat techniques and things like that. Uh, what I want to do is I really want to encourage you guys to go out there and get this book. Um, when I tell you, like he literally has, um, illustrations, um, for proper squat techniques, why these things are important. Um, you know, it's, it it not only reduces injury, but it allows you to perform at the level that you want to perform at, right? And, Thank, I want to thank you for not only just you know providing your time today, but just having these resources. And again, like you said, the majority of, the, of, of what the content you produce is free. So, guys, you know, again, with shipping and handling from Amazon, it's thirty bucks. Uh, if you're a gym goer, and, and I'm yeah. the type of person I like to be really good at what I'm doing, um, this is an asset <laughs> to have in your yeah. library. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem, Doctor Aaron. Uh, I want you. If, if there's, um, I know how to follow you, but I'm going to let you tell everyone uh how to follow you on socials and then also um if you do have any new books any projects you you are working on now's your time to
1: talk about it so i am just across every single social media platform out there just as squat university so it'll be um let's see instagram youtube tiktoks uh let's see twitter facebook um podcast, everything just at Squite University. And uh, yeah, I actually am on the verge of coming out with my second book, uh, which is actually going to be a much more in-depth book on how every single person can help uh, recover themselves from the common aches and pains we find in the gym. So, sort of a um, a Rehab 101 book that you can use to help yourself feel better and continue pushing along without having to subject yourself to the common medical society we have today that's take these pills and just stop lifting. Absolutely. And I will definitely buy that book when it
0: comes out. Um, my listeners know that, you know, I don't promote anything that I don't believe in. And I believe in what you produce. And I really we, appreciate that. We, yeah, we get a lot of results. So again, just thank you, Doctor Aaron. Make sure you guys follow follow him again. Squat University on all platforms. I encourage you um, if you are serious about gaining g- getting the basics done in movement, get the Squat Bible. You can get it on Amazon again with shipping and everything like that. It's about thirty bucks. It's a literally it's dirt cheap. Um, and I'm thankful to him for that. <laughs> uh, but get that because it's essential and then again you guys uh you know now we have the youtube channel for season two i know covid um has changed things a bit up for us but you can get the visuals on youtube um be sure that you are following us at fit Health well um on instagram and then also you can hit up the website at fit Health well and if you are a person that would like to be on the show. Uh, you can or you just have general information that you would like uh, hit us up at fithealthwell at gmail.com again thank you dr aaron for for your time today i'm grateful so for it yeah thank you so much and uh to my listeners i'm grateful for you guys um we are taking the journey together and i appreciate every single time you guys download the podcast until the next episode i'll see you next time